Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Square Ball Podcast. Well, hello to you. Welcome to the Monday edition of the show with Phil Hay. Dan here from the Square Ball uh, brought to you by West Yorkshire Electrical. Uh, they sponsor the show. Fully accredited electrician who serve West Yorkshire, the whole of Yorkshire and beyond doing renewable technologies and all the usual stuff as well. Solar panel installation, electrical vehicle charging, CCTV, security alarms for home and business with finance available for your home and your business as well. Uh, wyelectrical.co.uk. For details, search West Yorkshire Electrical on your socials too. Phil, hey, hello to you, the Monday show. Uh, I've had a perfect weekend. I know yours might have been a little bit of light and shade because you were up in Scotland at Hampden watching Hearts lose to Rangers in the Scottish Cup semi-final. Was it League Cup or Scottish Cup? It was League Cup. I, yeah. I'm totally resigned to never seeing Leeds or Hearts win the League Cup in my lifetime, and certainly not not Hearts. It was. It reminded me a little bit of, I think it was towards the end of the Christiansen-Heckenbottom season with Leeds, and I was wandering through a train station somewhere and bumped into some Leeds fans who said to me, we, t- we love the away trips aside from the football, basically. Um, and that's it. That's exactly how it was yesterday going up to Hamden. It was a lovely drive over the border. Scotland was looking beautiful. Football was shocking. Um, however, we did have Friday night, which was um, at the opposite end of the scale. So not all bad. Yeah, I've said many times that my happiness is almost pathetic in the levels that it's tied to the fortunes of Leeds United. And it's no coincidence that, I mean, I think I said in the run-up to this that the Friday night game had, had the capacity to make or break our entire weekend as Leeds fans. And honestly, I was skipping around all weekend in such a good mood. Like I just, oh, do you know what? I'm just going to go back and watch the highlights again. Oh, let's watch a full rerun. Uh, it was great, wasn't it? What a performance. And um, where do you want to start with it then? Because it was a, a wonderful save at the end that has captured the both the photographer's lenses and the headlines, wasn't it? To to secure that win, that save by Melier, a proper match-winning save. Yeah, I've been trying to think a lot about the significance of the result and how significant it it actually is. I had quite a few Leicester fans after the game who were saying, you know, in response to various tweets of mine, which I think made it quite clear that that in my view, I thought it was thoroughly deserved win for Leeds. I thought it was a, a really, really top performance and obviously a quality result on the basis of Leicester's form. But I think just as well, because that is a, a really, really difficult fixture anyway. And it was the, the the structure of it was right. It was I was writing afterwards saying it was really multifaceted in in the way it was put together and, and the way it worked. And you mentioned in Melee there, you know, it was just those little interventions, your massive inter- um, individual performance from Kamara in the centre of midfield, 
very good pressing, loads of confidence in in the play, which I think for the first time probably made Leicester think a little bit, knock them out of their comfort zone, which they they didn't seem to to enjoy. But a few Leicester fans were saying to me afterwards, and then it is a fair point. You know, they were saying that the gap is still. 11 points and you know it, as it is with Ipswich at the moment if Ipswich win their game in hand I think that gap goes back to, to 10 so there's a, a big margin there and I guess you can ask in the grand scheme whether or not that result on Friday night is going to be significant in the way the final table looks but it felt it and I think more than anything and what I think Farker would have wanted from that game was the proof and the message to to the players that they are as good as anybody in the division and they can mix it with anybody in the division. They can beat anybody in the division. They have already turned over Ipswich at Portman Road, um, which I think was kind of equally, equally big result. But that was just hugely impressive, I thought, from, from start to finish on Friday. And it wasn't a 3-0 win. It wasn't a 4-0 win. Somebody said to me afterwards, you're talking about this as if it was a, a complete rout. But I think what you did see was a side who were 14 points clear of Leeds before kickoff, and and you know a long way clear at, at the top of the division already. I think a long way on the road to automatic promotion, which I think they will probably get regardless of that result on on Friday. I think you 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 know, you saw them made to be look second best, and and you know to, to struggle to cope with Leeds, and it is it's the best performance so far under Farker. There's so much that that was working for the team on Friday night, and the decisions he's making, I think more often than not, are being completely justified. And I, I picked out Pirro as the one to watch before Friday. A few people said to me that they thought Pirro had a quiet game on Friday in comparison to others, and I think he, he probably did. But you cannot argue with the fact that it's working and that the, the system of it, whatever Pirro's doing and whatever his his isolated contribution is, you know, as an 11, as a, as a team, it's clicking. And the same, you mentioned Melia there, the same goes for him. That was the decision from Farke at the start of the season that Millie would go into the season as, as first choice. And there were reasons for that. You know, there were circumstances that helped to dictate that. But you can't pretend that that hasn't been the right call. And that was a huge save at the end. I mean, really, really top draw save. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. Leicester are a quality side. You can see it. And it was it was proper two alphas matching up, wasn't it, on Friday night. That's how it, it kind of struck me to really good, strong sides. And I'm really pleased to see that the Leeds had the upper hand in that. And I think deserved the win on balance. And like you say, actually, when you, when you frame it like that, I think you're correct, Phil, that it's probably more significant from a Leeds point of view um, as anything to do with, with Leicester. It does send a message internally, doesn't it, that, lads, you've got this, just keep your heads down, keep working, and your rewards will come. And whether it's enough or not, we, we'll see as it as the shakedown comes over the next sort of 30, 31 games, won't we? But um, in terms of what you could have delivered on Friday night, it doesn't really get much better, does it? No, it doesn't. And I think it's probably quite helpful for them, actually, for Farka to be able to say, don't read too much into that result. Don't read too much significance into the fact that you've you've beaten Leicester because I do feel like the championship is starting to take shape now at the top. It, it's, it's quite telling, I think, that Southampton have quietly moved into the position that they're in because when Leeds went to, to St Mary's, the, there was a bit of pressure on them. And I was quite surprised, actually, at the way in which the wheels had kind of momentarily come off in in that little period beforehand. But we said at the time, and I, I still think this stands stands up to scrutiny, that Southampton and Leicester, and, and in the end Leeds as well, all managed to get their ducks in a row through the summer. I think Leicester and Southampton were more organised than Leeds initially. I think that's really told in the form that Leicester have, have had to this point. You know, they, they were kind of ahead of the curve in comparison to Leeds when it came to picking Mareska. Farker came a, a few weeks further down the lane. Southampton had done a, a bit more business at an earlier stage and I think we're, we're in better shape for the season to start than Leeds. I don't think that that's in dispute at all. 
but but in effect, all three relegated clubs have set themselves up pretty nicely um, for this season, if if not better than that. And I think that is starting to show now in the table. The fact that you've got Leicester in such a strong position, Leeds looking good, Southampton coming up on the rails. And as you said, you know, 31 games to go. There isn't much point at this stage of assuming too much on the basis of individual results or, or a, a short spell of results. But it does tell Leeds that they're they're in firm contention for this. And and I, I definitely think they are. And as I was writing my piece after Friday night, I was thinking more and more about how much it actually matters to be in the position that Leicester are in, i.e., you know, on, on, on kind of on, at the moment on course for the title. It does it matter in the championship that you win the title? Is there actually a league anywhere else where finishing top is less important than just getting out of it? Like the whole point of the championship for so many clubs in it is to get away from it. Well, you know, that's why you're in it, is to try and find a, an escape route. And like Sheffield Wednesday, it, for example, are doing that. Uh, yeah, um, one, one way or the other. Um, and I suppose if you're in Wednesday's form, it doesn't really make any difference either, does it? You might as well go down into League One and have a bit of fun there, um, as opposed to, to dragging as few points as they're doing at the moment. But it was fitting, I felt, in 2020 that Leeds won the title because they were the best of the best in the Championship. They were they were kind of untouchable in the way that they were playing and, and it was it, it suited you know the, the Bielsa era. It suited the way that, that season had gone. But there was nobody at Ellen Road, including you or you know, most of the support, who would have complained had it been 12 months earlier and had it been through the playoffs. And I don't think there's anybody who's going to complain this season if it ends up being the playoffs and it ends up working out. Although, you know, the paranoia of that does kind of nibble away at the back of your mind constantly. Um, but, but you know, that that for another day. If you're in this division, you have to find a route out and, and you have to find a way of, of getting promoted. And that's why I came away from Leicester thinking, you know, you don't need to fixate too much on the title. You don't need to fixate too much on the gap. What you need to know and what you need to see is that you're a team who have the capability to do it. And I think that was the that was the message from Friday night. I know football has a way of always biting you on the arse. And just when you think you've got comfortable, mm-hmm. it can surprise you, much like it did with the game at Southampton, really. But I, I look at this lead side and you're talking about, you know, the message that this game sends on Friday to the squad, within the squad. And I, and I see a, a squad and a team and a club that's, it's almost um, unrecognisable compared to what we saw at the start of the uh, of the season, sort of August, early September yeah. time, which was a little bit tentative, just feeling your way into the division and, you know, slightly sketchy performances against like West Brom and Cardiff and things like that. And you look at the team now and the amount of confidence that just seems to be there and you can see that it's clicking. It all, it's almost like the proverbial oil tanker has kind of made its turn and it's now getting a bit of, uh, getting a bit of steam up in the direction of travel that it wants to take. But here's the thing. I mean, isn't that exactly what Farker said when he came in at, at, in you know the first week of July? I was looking back at his quotes and looking at how I guess how open he'd been about the the idea or the possibility that it might not go great to begin with. It might not be perfect. It might not fall into place really quickly or as quickly as it has for Leicester. And I think he called that absolutely right. I mean, I said this a, a few times, but I, right from the start, I've really liked a lot of what Farker's done with this team and the way he's. The way he speaks and the way he handles certain difficult situations, I think are good. it's good for the club, it's good for the support, a good way of, of having faith in him. And I do think, as I say, that a lot of the decisions he's made have, have worked and have been correct. I mean, I can't help wondering with Millier. I did ask him afterwards, you know, on the basis of that save on Friday, in the toss-up between Millier and Carl Darlow, why had it been Millier and, and how, you know, how easy or otherwise had that decision been to take? And Farker said, you know, on the basis of Millier's potential and the, the 
potentially he has to be a really, really outstanding goalkeeper. You kind of have to back him. I think the phrase you used was, if you've got a diamond like that, you've got to back him. You know, that's how it how it has to be. But you have to remember as well that the Darlow signing was done on July the 29th, I think, which was a week at best before the season started. So there's no prospect really of Darlow playing in that first game against Cardiff because he hadn't trained enough within Farkas' system. He hadn't been there for long enough. And you do find that your best coaches do not tend to just pitch players in, you know, cold or without a, a bit of a bit of a warm-up, a bit of work first to make sure that they're acclimatised and they're suited to what you're doing. So it totally made sense that Millie went in for those um, initial games. And I think, you know, the circumstances have worked for Millie because he's then had the chance to rebuild confidence, which seemed completely shattered by the last couple of seasons at Leeds. And if you go back to last season with Millier, Leeds were in disarray. Leeds were a shambles. You know, it was a kind of totally vacant defence or defensive structure in front of him. But actually, look at the numbers. His own individual performance was not good either. You know, he he was letting more goals than he should have done. He was struggling. And I think like a few players, he's benefited from the drop down. He's benefited from a change of coach and a change of um, tactical approach as well. But it's been... It's been the right call. And I think if his confidence does continue to rise and his his performances continue to be good, then Leeds will benefit right the way through the season. A little bit from, you know, similar to having somebody like Rooter up front, from having somebody like Melee at the back. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Something I noticed on Friday, uh, it was something that I noticed on pitch, but it led my thoughts through to something off the pitch. And it led me back, first of all, to the away end, which was absolutely fantastic. I need to say it sounded amazing watching it on the telly. Was it good in the stadium? It was good. Yeah. Yeah. It always is at Leicester, actually. But no, it, it particularly was on Friday night. And it certainly gets the fans more up for it when there's a, a perceived bigger clash like that that feels a little more like a Premier League game, I guess. But I was going to ask, actually, with regards to the fans, have you noticed a bit of a shift in the attitude of the fans that the the anxiety that we saw in the early part of the season seems to have fallen away a little bit and and people are now starting to understand what Farkas football is like and the areas in which it, it really really works and it's effective and I'm thinking particularly things like slowing it down at the back a little bit sometimes and just having possession just giving everybody a chance to to reset and also the pressing it was the thing that I noticed up front and you mentioned it a little bit earlier on in the show Phil 
when the, the attackers were pressing, they were pressing really, really well and quite aggressively in that early part of the game, but not always. There were certain triggers and there were certain moments when they went to do it. And it, it just feels like there's now more of an understanding, more of a harmony between the fans seeing what the football's like and how it works and how it's effective. And it's also translating into things on the pitch too. Well, the more it works, the more people have confidence in it. And you're right. The, the effect that the pressing had was it, it meant that Leicester had to go out wide. And they do, they do have two outstanding wingers, actually. I have to say, you know, I think there are players in the Leicester squad who Farker would quite happily take. I think the players in the Leeds squad who Maresca would quite happily take. It's just two very, very good groups of, of players who, who should really go up this season, I I, I kind of feel. But what it did was it, it strangled Dewsbury Hall um, to a degree, which is really important because he's been a big player for Leicester um, to this point of the season. And it also helped to see off Jamie Vardy within an hour. You know, Vardy didn't have a single opportunity really to do that thing that Vardy's been doing for years, which is to hover on the shoulder, get in behind, burn everybody for pace and, and finish. You know, that the opportunities just, just weren't there. And defensively, Leeds were just excellent right the way through. I know Byron was exposed in the first half and there was that little point where you thought, he's going to get a second yellow card here. And unless they were almost playing for a second yellow card, you know, they're deliberately attacking him, deliberately going after him. But, you know, that in itself, I thought, was a big decision after half time, And and I think there are, there are circumstances in which or situations in which a manager would get that wrong, where they would leave Byron on the pitch and he would get booked and he would say, well, that was quite obviously going to happen. And and it felt a little bit like like walking into that. But Leeds were able to change it slightly in the second half and to, and to adapt in a way that started to tie Leicester's wingers down, didn't give them the same amount of freedom. And actually, Byron had an excellent second half. And that, I think... I think there would have been as much risk, to be perfectly honest, throwing in Junior Firpo off the bench, you know, having not seen him play for a long time and, and having seen him play previously, being you know, fairly unconvinced by him in that role, as there was to leaving Byron on. And I think the more that a coach makes calls like that and gets it right, the more that you see a coach, for example, you know, to go back back to Pirro, to 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 kind of defend his decision to play Pirro at 10, Ruter at nine up front. And to see it work in terms of results over and over again, the more people do start to say, well, he evidently knows what he's doing. And he does have a track record, Farker, of, of winning the championship twice. And on that basis, you should be saying, well, you know, you, you would have confidence and faith in this guy. But football doesn't really work like that, does it? Because when it starts going wrong at one club, what you've done previously only kind of protects you for, for so long. And in the end, nobody at Leeds is interested in hearing, you know, that Farker's won two titles at Norwich. He's here to get Leeds out of the division. But as you start to see it shape up, confidence does rise. And I think you've you've had a switch, a big switch from, you know, last season and to an extent the season before of the away crowd having that aura of, you know, that air of to the bitter end with this and being there because they, they kind of always will be to actually start to enjoy what they're seeing and, and to, to have good levels of faith in it, which which they should at the moment. I just had an idle thought then, as as you were saying that. On that, isn't it nice just to be talking about the football? I was thinking, is there anything that's happened off field that we need to address? And I was like, no, there isn't. This is this is all that matters at the minute is that they just continue this um, this good run and, and the good football. It's it's nice. I'm I'm having a nice time, and I think given what's happened over the last couple of seasons and you know the stuff that went before it, I'm far more aware of the need to enjoy the nice times as they arrive. Now it's a theme that I've kind of touched on. I think a, a little bit this season is that. It's just, it's just nice, isn't it? It's just good. It's, ni- it's nice to just be talking about a good football team and watching one. Yeah, I, I spoke about this on the podcast that we did about um, about Hearts and, and me growing up. And yesterday's a great example of that. You know, drive four hours to hand and get completely rinsed. And and you do have to, you've got to find the the joy and the fun in football wherever you can. Um, and I think 
if you look too much at the bigger picture or obsess too much with the bigger picture, then it, it's it frustrates you, I think, more often than it, it satisfies you. I mean, I was chatting to Rob Tanner, who covers Leicester for us on, on Friday, and we were, we were speaking before the game just about how I think Leicester had certain advantages going into this season. There was far more harmony in their boardroom. You didn't have the, the kind of outbreak of, of pressure and stress and, and friction that, that there was between Radrazani and the 49ers as they were trying to get that takeover across the line. Mareski and Early, you know, deals done, they able to pull in money for, for Barnes and um, and Madison as well in, in a way that, that will have helped FFP. But the ownership thing is significant because if you if you speak to people around about the 49ers takeover, they, they speak about this buyout as being a kind of project that could run for 10, 15 years, something like that. And the concept of Leeds having no ownership discussion, no ownership debate or, or, or potential for ownership change over a period of 10 to 15 years is just totally alien to the club because it's been the complete opposite. You know, going back to from Ridsdale onwards, there's just constantly been that thing in the background of, is somebody good going to buy this club? Is somebody with money going to buy this club? Is somebody going to take it on and do big things with it? And and in the end, it's been this kind of incremental jump from one owner to to another. And, and we might be free of that finally, which I think will will make a difference. And And as you say, that does help to reduce the kind of off-field goings-on, which is good for everybody because it's not what you pay to go to the football for, is it? It's not, no. It's a good point, actually. Um, I mentioned a couple of shows ago, I think, about how I was ready to see Ellen Road be redeveloped now. And I think that's what it's... It's, it's a symptom of that. It's a symptom of the ownership. It's a reflection of the ownership. It's, it, it's a sign that we've not really gone anywhere in any meaningful sense. There's been no progression over the last almost 20 years, particularly, you know, stadium-wise. It, it's almost like they're just doing enough to keep the thing ticking over to get the safety certificate yeah. but it needs so much more than that and it and it feels like or certainly the noises that are being made suggest that they're aware of that and they will they will address that in um in due course Phil. but I just want to return just actually to Sam Byram I made a note there about Byram and you say um Farker's decision was a good one to keep him on and you do find sometimes don't you in games that there can be a lot of focus and pressure on a player who's been booked like that and they will try and target him and isolate him but then the game will sort of ebb and flow and move away from that and it was a wise decision just to sit on that one and and see how it played out, particularly in the fact that he got his header onto the, the corner that led to the goal. And there won't be an easier goal probably all season than that. But I'm so I'm so delighted it was Ruta that got the tap in as well. And it wasn't clear from watching it as well who'd got it because they were all going nuts. Yeah, it, it's he's quite a threat actually from corners is Byron. But I, th- I think it's a good point actually that about the timing of the decision during the interval. Farker might have said to himself, look. The game will change after half time, and when it restarts, it won't. The flow of it won't be identical to how it was, and it makes you wonder if Byron had been booked, say, five minutes into the second half, and then had the pressure on him that was there in the first half, whether or not a change would have had to come in that position. You know, whether Farker would have said, "Look, this is too much of a risk, and, and this is going to go wrong." But I think you're right. The game did change, and it did sway away from the wide areas where, where Leeds had been had been under pressure. And um, it's good for Ruta to be scoring. I think I was making a point on the recent podcast that you don't want to be a number nine who doesn't have a lot of goals um, in, in the bag. It, it never looks well. And, and however much your centre forwards have changed over the years, people still look for them to score. But I just feel with Ruta that his his all-round com- contribution in an attacking sense is so good and, and a level above that of everybody else. I've been massively impressed with Somerville this season. But I can't help feeling that some of those form is probably to to some extent, uh, you know, a, a product of the way that Ruta is playing round about him more than Ruta's form being a product of what, what Somerville is doing. I think Ruta is influencing an, an awful lot. And yes, you could probably get more from, from Piro at 10. 
I think you always have to bear in mind that in the last couple of weeks of the window, they were looking at Amiri over at Bayer Leverkusen who would have fitted into that position. So that tells you that, you know, in the 10 area, Farke probably wanted a little bit more in the way of options and perhaps that's something they'll revisit. Um, I don't mean Amiri necessarily, but that position they'll possibly revisit when, when January comes around. But you cannot pretend on the basis of results that whatever Pirro is doing, it isn't having some effect because it definitely is. Just with regards to Amiri, it is worth touching on that for a second because his name's come back up in dispatches, hasn't it, over the last I did see that. few yeah. days? Because he's he's basically on the periphery over there in Germany, isn't he? He's not getting any minutes. And um, possibly a head full of regrets about the way that the potential move to Leeds <laughs> over over the summer unfolded. And, and I know from speaking to people at the club that um, his brother and the family members around him were very prominent in that deal, weren't they? Like They were, they were part of the entourage that, that came yes. with him. And the story over the weekend is, He's become aware that he needs to shed himself of of the um, the the family influence around him, whatever it was phrased as. Particularly, I can't quite remember, but the the implication was, yeah, I need to get rid of him. <laughs> he needs to stop stop hanging around with me and influencing where I'm going in my career because it's not always working out for the best, is it? Any any chance they'll, they'll revisit that? Do you think it would be fascinating if they did, given the way that it ended and given the way in which he was told to find his own private jet home um, after after turning that move down? Although basically, I mean. A, just to revisit the story quickly, when he came over to see Farka and to see Thorpe Arch and Ellen Road at the start of that week, it was just before the, um, the League Cup game over at, uh, at Salford. Leeds expected on the basis that he was coming over that that deal was going to get moving. And then the, the goalposts kind of moved um, with respect to what was being asked for financially. There were demands made that Leeds were not expecting. So they just pulled the plug and, and they said to him, you know, we're, we're not going to do this deal. And by the way, you know, the, the flight that we'd arranged for you home is no longer there. You can get your own. And, and that was why Amiri ended up in Brigitte um, with and people taking photo, photographs of him down there because he was waiting for a, a you know travel home to, to be arranged via other means. And um, he is a, a really good player. It would be, I mean, not unheard of, but it would be odd to go back to that after the way it, it all fell through. But there's no doubt that Farker really liked him um, and no doubt at all that, that he would have taken him had that that been done. It's funny as well, because I mean you you get um players who, who have family members who look after them and, and do so very well, you know, and really do look after their interests and, and are almost better for them than than external agents. But you do definitely have situations where you have family members who meddle in these things. And the one thing you can say about Amiri is it, and and I think there was a stage in the summer where he thought he was going to Marseille. Um, I think that's how how it, it looked like it was it was going to it was going to roll out and and how it was going to go. But it's not been a very astute decision, has it, to sit at Leverkusen because it, it it's not working out from there, and he, he needs to go. Yeah, you you almost get the sense that when Leeds pulled the plug on that and left him hanging just in the middle of Leeds City Centre and said, "Right, sort yourself out," that there was almost an intention to teach him a lesson there and so say you cannot go around behaving like this and you'll probably find out over the next few months that you can't do that because you are looking a gift horse in the mouth here. Yeah, acts like that, you know, of, of that flight that you were going to get on no longer exists. It feels like the point of no return really, doesn't it? It feels like bridges burned and, and as if there's no way back from that. Although you've seen many times in football the way in which um, situations which seem irredeemable Actually, aren't and I mean, he, I don't doubt at all that he'd have been a huge asset in the in the championship. I'm I'm absolutely certain that he would have done. But like you, it was quite interesting reading that over the weekend because he's clearly realised that whatever was in his head um, in in August and wh- whatever he thought was going to happen in the final week, whether he believed that there'd be an offer from elsewhere and and something else would work out for him, it didn't materialise, and he's he's kind of stuck. And the last thing you want is a, a reputation as somebody who's a bit of a pain in the neck and who clubs are, are best off leaving alone. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, can we return just briefly then before we close out the show to um, to Glenn Kamara? 
because yes. he did get man of the match. Um, you singled him out for praise a little bit earlier on. And I think it'd be remiss of us not to talk about his performance on Friday before we, we finish the show. And I mean, Farker spoke, didn't he, in the, in the post-match about how it just took him a little bit of time because he came to us late in the summer. Um, he'd not really been featuring at Rangers to any great extent. Um, sorry for dropping the R word on you after the, the Scottish League Cup semi-final. I know that it'll be a sensitive time for you, Phil, but he was great on Friday, wasn't he? And uh, a really impressive performance in, as we were saying in the, in the run-up to it, certainly the hardest game of the season, if not the biggest. Yeah, I, I think important to mention him as well because... I and others have been um, banging the drum massively for Ampadu, you know, since the, the start of the season. I still think that Ampadu has been the, the best signing to this point. Although Byram is really running him close as a as a free transfer, you know, it's big, big, big impact from from Byram. But I think Ampadu has been the the really consistent presence in midfield. He had a very good game on Friday, that has to be said. But Kamara was the player who stood out really strong and really good at disrupting and breaking up so much of what Leicester were trying to do. But not only that, it, it's not, I think that's the thing you start to realise with Kamara. The, 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 he's got both sides to his game. He, he can be disruptive, but he can also play. Um, and I think he's got the vision when the ball's at his feet and when he wins it, to look up and see what's in front of him and, and to set attacks moving. The fact that he hadn't been involved at Rangers um, was one of the reasons why it took so long to to go through. I think Leeds were in two minds as to whether or not he would come down here and be lacking in fitness in a way that stopped him contributing really quickly um, to the season. But in actual fact, that hasn't looked like a problem at all. He looks physically incredibly fit. He's clearly a really, really good player. And again, just sort of feeds into the the overall feeling that when it came to recruitment, Leeds got it pretty close to spot on over the summer. Just circling back to where we started out, Phil, um, and the, the state of the table and the gap to the to the top two. It's down to seven now for Ipswich albeit they've got that game in hand against Rotherham which you would expect them to win all things being equal so it's likely to be a, a 10 point gap where do you think this leaves Leeds especially as we've still got to play Ipswich again at home Ipswich and Leicester have to face each other twice in the shakedown so we're sitting alright aren't we I think just just comfortably sitting okay in the table and, and keep our head down keep running our race and see where it takes us yeah I, I agree with that I was picking through on the way home from Hamden yesterday, I was picking through the, the games that Hearts have in December, which don't look very pretty at all, and kind of wondering what the consequences of, of those might be. Leeds, I think I'm right in, playing, uh, right in saying, play seven times between the 2nd of December and the 1st of January, um, those dates included. So that that period is going to be very, very influential when it comes to how the table changes and, and who moves where, who, which clubs Leeds are able to reel in or whether or not the gap the gap will stretch. I think that's when you're going to have, at the end of that month and going into January, I think you'll have a far better idea of what's possible this season and, and what, what's looking looking likely. And, and it makes you wonder whether, coming around to that point, that will influence what they decide to do in the January window. I mean, I don't know about you, and, and I, think, I think the 49ers will try to be and have tried to be far more strategic with recruitment. And, and I think what I mean by that is that I, I think they will want to avoid being knee-jerk in January. I don't think they want to get to the start of the window and say, actually, we weren't going to do this, but shall we suddenly do this? I think they'll want to know at this point what, what it's likely to be in the pipeline. I think transfers that they, they make or any signings that they do, they'll want to be of use further down the line rather than purely for you know a six-month hit, although that, again, will depend a little bit on injuries and, and other things. Um, but I don't look through too many positions in the squad and think that actually there's much call to, to add players there. And I think they'll have to be careful of not signing players in positions where those players are, are unlikely to play. I think at 10, you can see the need for a little bit more in the way of resources. I still wonder about left-back um, behind Byron because it's very difficult to know what we're, we're going to get from 
from Furpo. And obviously on the right side of defence, with the Spence still missing, that hasn't really settled down um, that position. But it certainly shouldn't be a January window where you feel as if you need to do a massive amount. I'm going to do a really tenuous link now, so apologies for this um, in advance. But I was going to say, if you caught the Copa Libertadores final over the weekend, you would have seen that John Kennedy scored the winner in that, which was an absolutely banging goal. And he got himself sent off in the um, in the aftermath. Did you see that, by the way? I didn't watch the game. I've seen the goal, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I didn't watch the game. It sounded great. I wish I'd, I wish I'd done. I did watch it that year um, that Boca played River Plate um, just because it, it happened to be to be that fixture. But it's always a bit wild and wonderful, Libertadores final. It's well worth a look. Oh, it was absolutely nuts. Um, and the reason I mentioned John Kennedy is because I was going to then really tenuously go full partridge and segue into saying, I think it was John F. Kennedy, his namesake, that said the time to mend the roof is when the sun is shining, i.e. go into this um, January window from a position of strength and then and then build on it. It's something I think Leeds have failed to do too much in the past when we just needed those, maybe those, ex- I mean, you always want the extra bodies, don't you, in, in, in January. But if they are canny about what they do, they could set themselves up for a, a really strong finish to the season. If they just add that little player or two players and, they, and they've spoken about the loan market as well as being a, a particular area of focus. But I agree with you. If, you. if you look at where there's maybe just room in the squad for one or two more players like you say left back number 10 perhaps just to give themselves that extra bit of comfort surely they've got to do it it's also about getting it right though I think you'd be wrong to say that that Leeds have have always sat on their hands in January they went through a long period where the the January window just seemed to be a complete non-event but I think think the the bigger problem or what handicapped them more or, or didn't strengthen them was the inability to get those signings right so even going back to 2020 when they lost and Ketia back to Arsenal did Augustine, who made you know next to no impact and has actually cost them a huge amount of money in return for no return of, of, of any significance at all. You know, that was a window where they, they didn't it didn't impact the, the final league position, but it didn't strengthen Bales' squad either. Um, certainly not in, in that position. And then going back to, to last January, they spent on McKenney, they spent on Ruter, they they spent on on Max Verber. Verber, I felt, was a, a decent enough defensive signing. Baruta made no impact. McKenney was not a good signing. Just didn't it, didn't it didn't seem to suit the Premier League. Didn't suit the the style that Leeds were going for. Did did not find his place properly in that team at all. So it wasn't the kind of willingness to invest that was the the issue. It was the the impact of of those investments themselves, which which wasn't high enough. And January still remains the time where you know you can give yourself that extra percentage and that extra edge, which which makes the difference. But I still go back to the. I think the, the, the kind of resounding point in football is that how your season goes depends on how well you recruit before it begins or, or in the window before it starts. And that's why Leeds are looking strong because so many of the deals that they've done have been pretty much bang on the money. Well, it's six wins and eight now, Phil. We're on um, on that sort of a streak. Plymouth at the weekend and Rotherham to follow. Swansea after that. Games that Leeds should be going into as strong favourites and ideally winning and maybe stretching that out to to seven, eight and nine wins. So um, like you said, the run into Christmas is a really important one, none more so than the um, the game just before Christmas, which is Ipswich at home on the 23rd. That could be a, could be a tasty one, couldn't it? But let's not look too far ahead right now because we've got to, um, we've got to stick to the, stick to the here and now, stay in our lane, heads down, focused. And um, Plymouth at the weekend, as I mentioned, we'll preview that one towards the back end of the week, but um, it's starting to get a little bit exciting, isn't it? It is. It is. I think, as well, good reason for caution is looking at Norwich's league position at the moment. They have completely bombed from the, the day of that game. I mean, they, they were struggling before Leeds went to Carroll Road. But I remember the, the kind of optimistic view down in Norwich being, 
on that day, Leeds were fifth, Norwich were seventh, um, two points between them. If Norwich had, had won, they'd have gone above Leeds. And now it's looking very, very dodgy for um, David Wagner. Um, it's looking very dodgy for their their entire season, really. And and the Championship does have that kind of tendency to, to creep up on you um, in a negative sense. But as I say, with that many games in December, a lot of points on, on offer as well. I think it... Farker will be mindful of the fact that getting round to that point when it really, really gets intense over Christmas, you, you do need to be in a good position. Yeah, just returning to something I said earlier, like I've come off the back of a great win on Friday, been buzzing all weekend, and now I can just sit here and look forward to even anticipate, even wish for the arrival of the game against Plymouth at the weekend and wish it was sooner. But I am prepared to sit and wait until until the weekend. But be in a good mood all week, which you can't ask for much more of uh, as a football fan, can you? I may have changed to last season when on these podcasts we just seem to be going round and round in circles <laughs> about the same, you know, the same failures or the same things that that weren't working. But it's very hard to get out of that cycle of conversation when that's all you've got, you know. And and when when it is about results and results are not going well, where else do where else do you go with it? I think the thing about the, the games like Plymouth as well is that Leeds have been good at home this season. They have been strong. It was you know it took a, it took a while to get going against Cardiff, but they've been looking better and better. And I think. As well, we've seen often enough this season that they've started to work out teams who are trying to sit in and are trying hard to to contain them. So they're, they're set up nicely at the moment. And I do think that, you know, I, I mentioned Farker's comments when he, he first came in. I think this is exactly how Leeds would have expected this season to go had it gone to plan, which is that, you know, difficult to begin with a few results that you're not particularly happy with but reasons for that and mitigation for that but when you've got the players when you've got the squad when you've got a bit of stability and, and a bit of calm actually some consistency and some some really good form um, and that's what we're seeing Still unbeaten in the all-white as well still unbeaten in the all-white um, and we face 19th placed Plymouth Argyle at the weekend what could possibly go wrong Phil? Absolutely nothing And we'll catch up again um, in the run-up to that and preview the game on the episode towards the back end of the week Catch you in a bit Looking forward to it the Square Ball Podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Acast and Befaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skrætter alle de der podcast og forklarer mig nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lytte til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel.